Welcome back to season two of Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. Scott Erickson is an artist, author, speaker, and spiritual director. This week, Jonathan sits down with him for a vulnerable conversation on death and dying, suicide, how to not give up on yourself, and how bad eschatology literally actually kills people. We hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Son of a Preacher Man, and I'm so excited that I have a friend in my apartment today, Scott Erickson, a.k.a. Scott the Painter, is right here in Oklahoma City. I'm so glad to have I'm you. I'm here in your apartment. That's as you're amazing. moving in still. Yes, as I'm still moving That's in. Great. And you saw my movie poster. It's not yet hung. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really awesome to have you as one of my first guests here. That's amazing. And um, the reason Scott is in town, uh, his touring show just came last night to Commonplace Books. Uh, Say Yes, A Liturgy of Not Giving Up on Yourself. Yeah. I really, I'm not just saying this to your face. I, I did, I tweeted about this this morning. I don't know if you would have seen that yet. I I thought the show was just stunning. I loved it so much. It was so moving. Um, I don't think I have seen anything quite like it. I mean, it is, it's, it's interactive and that way it very much is a liturgy. Yeah. And there's the visual art component, of course. It just, it, it, it just it's such a moving, transformative, you know, hour and a half or so of storytelling. I, I loved it. I thought it really was stunning. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks, man. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to, to create something and make something and then, um, see where it goes. I mean, I started a year ago. The first time I ever did it was a friend of mine, Nick Lapara has a show called let's give a damn a podcast. And, uh, I was going to Nashville and I'm, and I was like, Hey, would you want to do a live taping of your show? So we can have a conversation and then, um, and I just have some new content. And so it was literally just like pages of notes that mm. I'd been collecting for a couple of years and, and my own kind of mental health and spiritual practices that were helping me with this kind of voice of giving up. And, and I had a few slides and then the next time I did it was at this arts conference and it was like a little less notes and some more slides. And then I just kept talking about this content and it, people had this overwhelming response and and my co-author Justin McRoberts and I were doing an event together and I was telling him about it and I was like I think I should just I don't know lock myself away write this all out and he's like no you need to just keep talking it out in front of people mm. just let it be not polished and so I've just been admittingly like this isn't polished and just working it out and finding mm the words and finding and letting people respond and going, Oh, that's what's happening and building it that way. It's often what like comedians and, and things do sure. know, other performers do they show up somewhere on a Monday night and they're just like, I'm going to try this new stuff out see how it lands with people. And that's, so you've seen like 18, 19 shows where I kind of know mostly mm. everything I want to say. And I think it's great. Um, I've, I have some friends who are like, Hey, you could just take a few little things out and really this could be for a, a secular audience. It doesn't yeah. have to be religious. And, <clears throat> and uh, like I'm doing this at Georgia Tech University and they oh, want to wow. change the word liturgy because they're f- afraid mm. that that's going to be a stumbling block for some people. And I think we're going to substitute conversation. But that just, mm. I, I think for me, and I even say this at the beginning, liturgy is a word we use in a lot in a religious context, but it's yeah. not a 
it's not a religious word. It just means the work of the people. It's just right. something we're building. And I, I really wanted to make a, a conversation or an interactive thing that was like, how do I, I want to, and it's not a church service about suicide. It's no, but it, it, it is in a way, it's a lot of things at one time, but I was like, I've never been to a church service about suicide. Yeah. I've never been, to, <laughs> I've never been to where they're like, thank you for the gift of life. We will not put a noose around our neck. <laughs> you know, I've never like gone to a Compliment right. service that talked about <laughs> staying alive. And yeah, in it's in the zeitgeist right now of just, yeah. We're watching celebrities take themselves out. My friend's a pediatrician. He's like after Anthony Bourdain. He's like, we had a rash of teenagers who came into the hospital who had tried to hang themselves. Cool. And and I and I was like, I I've had these conversations with giving up. And I was like, I want to offer something, at least that I a spiritual conversation, a, a human conversation about this, mm-hmm. and going, here's my own mental health and spiritual practices that I've developed. And then I think the art form is, uh, when I first started writing it, I was like, how is this not a 10 minute slideshow about better mental health practices? Yeah. And that's where you bring in story and art yeah. and comedy and music and, mm. and and hilarity and obscurity and all these kind of things. And then and that's what it's turned into. So I appreciate your kind words. I, I think it's special. It's, it's really special and I guess it's good we have had a lot of chance to like to hang out already. We're, we're, we're doing that now. Yeah. As in processing this in real time, which I think is so much better. Because I haven't got even got to say much to you about where and how it struck me in such deep place, places. So, like, I mean, I'm uh, <laughs> Is that my phone, you guys? It's I'm okay. Sorry. It's so happening. <laughs> that could be edited out. That is really funny. <laughs> um, that never it. happens to me. Um, and now I'm knocking your book around. That's hilarious. Sorry, Will. Um, so I'm an Enneagram seven and I feel like by nature more. Congratulations. Yes, indeed. (laughs) More hopeful, optimistic, kind of on to the next thing, um, is, is how I can be. But I feel like, um, and maybe it is. I mean, I think we're the same age. I'm 40. Um, I don't know. 41. You're 41. Okay. I turned 41 at the end of the month. So this, I'm right. So coming, coming right there. And there is such a, it is such a shift in seasons. And I think as I, for different reasons, uh, started grasping, like grappling with my own mortality more in a way I've not. Mm -hmm. And this one of the things I think is so beautiful and kind of counterintuitive about the show is that it feels like we live in such a death denying culture. Yeah. Like we're always trying to deny our mortality. Yeah. We're, we're, we try to not talk about it. Yeah. And yet, oddly enough, it seems that suppressing it, pushing that down yeah. is precisely, I think what seems to push some people over because yeah. what you do. Um, and I thought this was very, this was deeply moving to me. It's like the way that you confront suicide and all of that is not by going around but going like directly through like you bring people yeah into a contemplation of their own death and what that would really yeah. mean yeah and i just think it's interesting because it's like that that actually seems to be the things that raises the stakes you know not by avoiding and pushing it down like it's taboo like we need to talk about death we need to have that in our corporate yeah you know yeah. vernacular in order to to know how to, I don't know, it's just, if you want to say anything about any of that, I know I'm just kind of riffing right now, but that is just really striking to me that, because, and that's part of where the experience was so moving, is I found myself in uh, good and right ways, 
contemplating mound death. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and, and when, and I say this in the show, when we talk about dying, that's on a spectrum because, uh, the far end is, I don't want to be here anymore, Yeah. but you can also, you know, binge watch something night after night and not deal with your life. You can numb yourself through a bottle, a, a syringe, a tapping on your phone to uh, <clears throat> to just ignore the pain or try to cover it up. Mm-hmm. So it so, so there's lots of ways of dying in our lives that yes. we can do. And and really that's a symptom of some deeper conversation we need to have. And what, what I started, um, I was inspired by this Irish poet named David White. Oh yeah. He's, and he's fantastic. But mm-hmm. he, in one of, he has this series of talks and one of the things he says is like, you need to have a conversation with your eventual disappearance. That's where that line came from. And he's like, that's going to inform your work the most. And when I started doing that, um, when I, cause I, I I left teaching in my twenties to become an artist, whatever Mm -hmm. that meant. And that was about 14 years ago. And a few years ago, I lost my job at this design agency. And I had this sense, like, am I being invited back to being a full-time artist? Like, not as a person, but, like, as a vocation. Because mm. now I'm married and I have kids. And the amount of money I needed to make is a lot more than what I was just single. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I ever could do that as an artist. And so I was being invited into that risk. And at the time, my, like, best friend's dad died really mm. awfully. Like, not in a good way. And... Mm complicated man he was a a fisherman up in alaska really wealthy like he um so when you when you're when you die or when your parents die the government's like sorry for your loss if you don't take care of all of this in 90 days we'll take all it all and so my friend like had to take on like a second job just Mm. dealing with the assets that his dad had gathered over his lifetime and so i went to the funeral and um he gave a eulogy and it was a very complicated one. You know, it was like joy and sorrow. It was complicated as their relationship was. But I remember sitting there thinking, uh, like, I'll, I don't know if I'll leave a lot of money to my kids. Like the tradition I'm in as being an artist is, you know, it's a thrifty life. Um, but I am going to leave a way of living uh, and an idea of what living is to them. And, and I was like, what's going to happen when my son is in his twenties and he comes to me and he's like, dad, I have this crazy dream, this thing, this desire in me to do something. And I, what am I going to say? Oh, I had those two. And then I got, had kids and then I got safe and I gave up on those dreams. Mm -hmm. Or I was like, so I'm, I was like, I'm answering that conversation right now Mm -hmm. by deciding to say yes to this deep desire of being an artist or, or making this work. This is, I like what my, children need and what i need is to step into that desire to Mm. to take to to go on that unknown journey and so you know it's a lot of those things that kind of inform this um you know so my say as was informed by middle age Mm. but i it resonates with high schoolers and college students and people in their 60s and 70s because it's it's something that we all have to do and it's um and and, and I think too, and I'd love to get your feedback on this a little bit is that I started realizing that like my faith practices or, you know, the rituals and the ideas of viewing the world stopped working for me a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that most of what I was taught about faith had to do with afterlife yeah. or the next thing. We got to do all these things for the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I've had enough friends die that I was like, 
whatever's next, I'm not in control of. Yes. Nor do we even really know That's if right. there is anything. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, does my faith practices have anything to say about being alive now? Oh, yeah. And it turns out they totally do. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, through Roar and yeah. his uh, explanation of Franciscan practices. Yeah. Those really helped me, really helped me view that this, you know, he said the the physical world is a doorway to the spiritual world and the spiritual world is much, much larger. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me to go, there's no way to access that other world except through this world. Yeah. And it, and those portals open up through kindness and love and forgiveness. These are the, these are the, these are the openers of that larger reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but they only come through this world. You can't bypass it. So you have right. to be here. And I was like, oh my, it hit me. I was like, oh gosh, so much of the faith tradition that came out of here is trying to ignore being here. Yes. It's trying to like not be here and try to be somewhere else. And and I was like, that's control. That's made, that's, you know, we're just like making these things up. We have to ignore reality in order to keep a narrative going. And so it just, it was all those things. And so I, I think, I think, and I don't say this in the show, but, when I, I revisited those Bronnie Ware quotes of like mm. the five regrets of the dying. Yeah, yeah. And those I, are powerful. Yeah, Ooh. right? She get she deserves all the success <laughs> from yeah. that. I mean, that came obviously that came out of years of caring for people and all that stuff. But uh I think what hit me was like what what because then I started doing that death practice that my spiritual director told me about. Yeah. And I was like, I think the moment you pass before you pass into whatever's next. I think you'll, I think your, your greatest prayer will be, I wish I would have just shown up for what this Mm. was, Mm. whatever God, whatever the giver of my life wanted me to experience about this existence. I wish I would have just said yes to it. Mm -hmm. Like that was the whole point was Mm -hmm. that you would just be in all of it. And there's Mm -hmm. tons of shit and there's tons Mm -hmm. of sorrow and, but there's also tremendous joy and mystery and, and I was just like, oh, I just have to say yes to this. Mm-hmm. That's what I really need to do is yeah. if, if what does God want you to do with your life? He wants you to say yes yeah. to it yeah. and, 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 and live in that mystery. And so that's, mm. that's where a lot of that came from, which I'm sure you resonate and have some thoughts about. I don't know. It obviously, you know, I think yeah. also too, I'm just trying to open up a space where people have that conversation with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's, that's the feedback I've been getting. So I know it works. Well, there's so much there. I mean, I think like, yeah, there is so say, much there. really, I mean, this idea of like really saying yes to your life. And I know that we're going to suffer regardless, but I do think we have so much unnecessary suffering because of things that we say no to that are, that are part of who we are or where God's taking us. Um, I had, I know I mentioned this to you briefly after the show last night, but kind of at, when I was, at the worst place in my life. And so much of where how to survive a shipwreck came out of all that, of course. But, and I talk about this book a lot. I'm not trying to be like evangelize people to it, but Catherine Dowling Singh is actually a Buddhist PhD mm-hmm. hospice worker. She actually died herself last year, but she wrote this book called the grace and dying. And I got that as a gift that really feels very, even circumstantially was so holy. Um, and I guess it was in 2014. And, uh, I read it and I, I I couldn't believe how much my own experience, it was a death experience. I feel like I was dying. I feel like I was yeah. dying to my life. Yeah. And 
But I mean, there's a lot to it. But and she draws it while a Buddhist, she draws heavily from scripture, from Jesus, from Christian mystics. And the thing that I think that it's hard to say it in like a truncated way, but there there really was like one clear takeaway. Like her basic premise is from walking with hundreds of people through a dying process, not people who, you know, are taken out tragically like in a moment, but if you have time to die, then universally the experience is, whether it's for a short window or sometimes it's longer, people come to this place of freedom. After after you go through the denial and your body's shutting down, it's humiliating to have people care for you in that way. But after you cross all the way through that for some window, there's this radical freedom. It doesn't matter where you live or how old you are or um, what your religious background or practice are. Everybody Mm -hmm. comes to that moment of of freedom. And what she essentially postures is that... um, like that God has hardwired grace into the dying process so that if nothing else in life strips the ego to bring you to that place of freedom, death will. And it's, oh it's the grace in oh dying. <laughs> and, it, and, and so she kind of brings this around to really yeah. ask the question, like, is it, 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 and it, and by the time she actually brings up in the book, Jesus uh, phrase, you know, about losing your life to find it. Is it possible to live with the qualities of the dying while you're still alive? Yeah, what would that yeah, mean? Yeah. And, but it's interesting because even though that was so transformational for me, you see that and then, you know, you, you walk away from the mirror and, uh, you know, James's image in scripture, like, you know, you forget what it looks like. It, like, I, it was last night. It was so fresh for me because yeah. I've not been thinking about it again. I've not been contemplating yeah. again. What I'd love to say testimonially and then get your thoughts like on this and, and, uh, whatever direction you want to go. And I won't, I won't talk about the specific thing. I will over lunch, but probably not over podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. what, one thing I found happened to me last night is that I've been grappling with a particular decision where there's something I feel like I need to do. And I feel like I've needed to do for some time. And I keep kind of weighing it and weighing it. And what I felt like I saw with crystal clarity by the end of the show. And of course the show wasn't about this, but yeah. inevitably to just, internalize it and take it seriously this is where i went yeah was i realized that ultimately the only thing that would keep me from moving forward with that decision would be fear of rejection mm-hmm. it's entirely ego yeah and if i like if i knew this was my last week or something yeah. I, I mean it becomes so clear oh i have to do this i know i have to do this thing yeah. there like any any reservation is uh it's not it's not god it's not the spirit it's not a healthy kind of caution or whatever yeah. it's just like a hundred percent ego but it's just it's just interesting how clarifying death is in that way. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, this has a way of like, are you hearing that kind of thing a lot from people from these shows? Like, does it bring, so, take them to particular places yeah, in terms of? Yeah. And I say this in the trailer as like, I'll be your story Sherpa. Like I'll do the heavy lifting of providing something that's not boring and entertaining. I use the tools of wonder and comedy a lot you know like that's the other thing is i i feel like a lot of these conversations about death people can get their voices can voices can start getting really whispery right. and wispy and right Let's talk about dying <laughs> yes. you know and i was like i want to make something that's funny <laughs> yes the best my favorite feedback is when people are like my side hurts because i was laughing so hard and mm-hmm. i also cried and and that was amazing but um yeah, what I think it does is it offers a space for you to pull out that deep conversation in you. Yes. So I've had people be like, hey, my wife and I talk for three hours after your show. Mm. And I realized that I've been putting this deep desire 
down because of the fear of whatever, whatever. And I know that I need to follow that desire because, and for the viewers, and it's not a mystery, but like a lot of it is, uh, the premise is that your dreams will die, but your dreams are something you've adopted as you've seen something else in the world and you're like, I want to be that. And so it's pointing you into a direction, but the dream is, is trying to be something else instead of the flourishing of yourself. And we have to let the dream die so we can get to the deeper desire. And the premise yes. is that God, the giver of your existence, the pathway for you to walk in your life is through your desires. And that takes discernment. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I think what people, what happens to them is, you know, and it takes a long, why is it 90, 80, 90 minutes is because it takes a long time to just kind of untie those knots in us. Sure, and sure. so by the end, when we get to this climactic moment, we're like, oh, there's, there's the thing, there's the deepest desire in me yeah. that I want to, that I, that's asking me to say yes to it. And, um, so I think people kind of have that, like that comes up and they're like, oh, I see what I need to really consider. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, th I think, I think that it, I think that it does that exactly. And you're so right. Like, um, like if <laughs> Jesus will let you know if you're on the wrong path, yep, <laughs> like, that's right. Like that's right. God will step in and be like, Hey, side note, there's plenty of stories about that in hum humanity, yes. but we often, we often think like, is the voice of God, it's actually, it's not, it's the voice of this ego, the voice of fear. Um, in my own kind of prayer practice recently, admittingly, I just was like, oh man, I really have allowed the voice of shame to kind of sound like the voice of God. And it's mm. really not, it's really not all this like disappointment in myself or shame. That's all me. And yeah. I've allowed it to like sneakily be God and I need it, you know, and I, I, it, so that's the kind of stuff that we need to uncover and bring into the light. Cause that's where, that's how grace wants to heal us. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think, I think there's this wisdom. There's, there's what I read from Bronnie Ware and uh, these other people who talked about death is like, there is an, a, a wisdom to living that happens when ego is, demolished when control is demolished like if you can't control your body and people have to take care of you yeah. like all of this stuff goes away and then you there's this wisdom about what is important in life and what you wanted to say yes to that starts to come up and and i and so i have been practicing like can i can i take that wisdom if i hopefully have 40 50 i don't know if i'm gonna live 50 more years <laughs> i don't i hopefully have like 40 more years of living I would like to apply that end of life wisdom to the rest of my life now yes. and be that free person um, who is okay with the mystery of life, who's okay with, um, with, I think what being a believer is, is actually believing God in the promises. Like I'm never going to leave you, forsake you. I, I have, this, I love you and I'm working in ways that you don't understand and can see. So just yeah. trust me in that journey. My, my running theory has been, if Jesus wanted me somewhere else, I will be. Yeah. So where's the conversation? What's the conversation I can only have by being here? Mm -hmm. And I wanna allow that here conversation to do its work and heal me and produce the fruit in me to for that when I get to the next thing that I will be ready for that, you mm -hmm. know? I think. If you're not willing to do the here work, you're just going to keep looping back to it. 
Like God's got all the time in the world. Like you can just stay in stasis and be like, I just don't want to have this conversation. It's like, we're not going anywhere until you have this conversation. That's right. Because you need the healing of this conversation in order to get to the next section of your life. And so um, I think that's what's going on in the death conversation. And so, yeah, I'm providing this wonderful small thing, but hopefully for a brief moment, you go, gosh, yeah, I need to pick that up. I'm glad that that happened in you. I'm glad you saw that thing in you. Because I have, I, these are not things that I'm like outside of. These kind of three pivots or practices I yeah. present are still my weekly mental health and spiritual practices. Because wow. I have like stuff I would like to do. And immediately I'm like, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know sure. if I'm smart enough. I don't know if I have the, the skill set or the whatever, whatever I dismiss myself in. But I go... And it's, I mean, I'm middle-aged and I'm an artist and I wear mostly black and I'm a Enneagram four. So I'm, set, I'm <laughs> melancholic, but I just, I go, if I was going to die in a week, yeah. what, what would I have wish I would have done? Yeah. Um, and I want to let that kind of direct my work. So a lot of, even though my shows say yes, a lot of my life has been saying no mm-hmm. to just like everything where I'm just like, I don't, that's a great paycheck, but right. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Like I just... And I'm luckily at a spot where I don't have to say yes to everything that comes in. Sure. I've had those seasons in my life. And I understand that. And I think if you can go, hey, I'm dirt broke. I need every job. Mm-hmm. That's great. I have a wife who works. I'm doing okay. So I have, our, and I have three kids, which is, it's like, it's like trying to swim laps with three children on you. It's like, so it's a lot, but I, the gift of it is, is going, what do you want to do the most? Yeah. Um, like I have a t-shirt idea every single day. Oh, well. But at the end of my life, I don't want to have made a t-shirt every single day. Sure. Do you know what yeah, I'm saying? I do. So I was like, I think we all, we, and I'm sure you have the same thing. We we have more ideas than we can accomplish. <laughs> so many more. So what is the deepest, deepest thing in yes. you that's asking you to say yes to? And yes. that's where we should just. So I think that death, that kind of practice mm-hmm. of laying in your casket and doing that thing mm-hmm. to our listeners, there's just it's a practice. Anybody can do it. You just lay down all by yourself, lay down on the floor, pretend you're in your own casket and you're about to move on to whatever's next. And... Um, before you do that, you have to let go of everything. So mm. just work through it. It's like Marie Kondo all your entire life. Just like work through it all. Yeah. Thank you for my fingertips. Thank you for my shoe collection. Thank you for my the way uh, uh, barbecue tastes in my mouth. Thank you for the way that I love Indiana Jones movies. You know, just whatever it is, just work through it all and let go of it all. Mm. And slowly that deepest desire in you will, will show itself. Yes. And that's what you need to consider uh, why you're not saying yes to that. And observation and then a question. I was, um, one, even when you were talking about like, what with the Georgia Tech show and uh, some folks not being sure how they felt about the word liturgy, I was struck by how, on the one hand, I find the show to be, like, I don't know what could be more spiritual yeah. than being brought into the contemplation of your own death. I mean, yeah. in, in the most fundamentally human way, it is a, it is a very spiritual experience Mm -hmm. but what's not there at all like there's no 
piety. There's no preaching. There's no, and of course, you as a person who's you know been doing spiritual direction for years yourself, I'm sure that's part of. I would imagine you learned this wisdom. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to steer people towards particular conclusions. No. You're trying to get them to, well, to use a great Frederick Bigner phrase, to listen to their own life. Like, listen to your own life. Listen yeah. to yourself. Listen yeah. to your body. Yeah. Listen to what's really going on in here. Yeah. You know, and I think, I feel like it, there's a lot of trust in that. There's no manipulation yeah. to try to get people to a particular outcome. Yeah. I'm, I start with the premise that uh, I don't need to bring people to God or I come into our camp because this is where God's speaking. My premise is that God is speaking in the lives of everybody. Yeah. The give the giver of all of our existence is is already speaking to you about your life. I want to help create a space where you would start to listen to that mm-hmm. in some way mm-hmm. or acknowledge that 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 maybe is there. Yeah. Um and even if uh thinking about, you know, doing this in cuz I love neutral spaces. I love talking about deep spiritual things in neutral spaces because it's like I don't need you to sign up to be a part of this. Yeah. I just want to like I just want to be that friend or guide that's like, can we just have this conversation? I know maybe you don't have this, but it, a lot of times if we do, it's just wrapped up in so much like religious buy-in that you're right. not interested in and neither am I. I just these are I would like us to just have this really honest conversation. Yeah. And you you were there like I spent a lot of time Deconstruct, deconstructing certain things that aren't healthy. Yeah. You know, I use certain n- biblical narratives to go, I, I don't need you to believe this story, but can mm-hmm. you see the truth of what's happening to the people in the mm-hmm. story? That's really fascinating. Um, yeah. And so even thinking about like this upcoming Georgia Tech show, I, I think I'm just going to say, hey, uh, I come from this, this is my experience. And so I'm going to be really detailed in my experience. If sure. I made it too general, it would be, it wouldn't, be boring so right. these are the particulars of my life but if you need there to be a god or if like we all exist so we're just going to talk about the fact that we exist and the gift of existing if you yeah. need there to be a giver of existence then take it a step farther yeah but if you're like i've come to that conclusion or i'm not sure just keep it at existence that's right like just at least the fact that mm. there's some we weren't in charge of getting here if you just take a moment and like feel your heartbeat uh, yeah. you're not in charge of keeping you alive. Yeah. Like there are so many graces, just the way that our earth is tilted in a certain percentage from the sun, mm-hmm. it's life. You can control your breathing, but your breathing's unconscious. There's like sure. life is, you're not in control of living. Yeah. You, it's happening. And so at some point, why are people going, I don't want to live anymore. That's really what we're getting to. And I'm like, what's the particularities? especially with the death conversation. Cause look, I mean, I'm not trying to be morbid. I don't really want to kill myself, but I've had moments where like, if I, I just go, if I was crossing the street and I looked over and a bus was going to hit me, I'd go, Oh, thank God. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, right, sure. like, and, but I'm like, why am I saying that? Or yeah. why do I get there? What, a, what's not working anymore that I want to get out of this. Yeah. And that's partly where we go. What do we expect from resurrection? Why do we start predicting when the end of the world's going to be, or Jesus is going to come back? Like what, what are we trying to control in these conversations? And I was like, Oh, we're trying to control a deep pain of existing and the unknownness and all of these things. I mean, I really think that suffering is just, is your unmet um, 
It's your unmet idealization of what you should be doing. Yes, yes. And 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 I think a lot of wisdom um, practices and religious practices are about unknowing that stuff right. and just being present and going. Stop the narrative of who you think you should be, yes. or what you should be doing. It's right now, and it's That's a right. goddamn miracle. <laughs> and yeah. say thank you for it. Yeah. And but maybe you're ignoring some things. Yeah. And and. Let's take some time to like stop ignoring those deep things in you yes. that are calling for a space in your life. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to me too that while you don't, you're you you do get into the particularity realm story, which I think has to be right. And that's why I'm always telling all these Pentecostal church stories because that's so what's in me. That's who I am. It's where yeah. I come from. If I don't you know went to a thing like, and you know, some Hindu guy was like, "Let me tell you about Shiva," or you know, or something you'd be like great tell me about it I right. yeah it shouldn't be threatening it's only threatening yes. to people if they're like I don't buy into this anymore so right. I'm not asking you to buy in sorry no 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 that's, a, yeah, no that's yeah. so good I think it's all good art is when it's really particular yes that's right yeah so that's great that's right yeah. the, the more the more particular the better so it's like you're you're particular about your own tradition story but I thought and I, I definitely want to talk about this I actually thought the closest thing to a preachy moment in the show and not preaching in a bad way but I thought that was interesting it's like it's not, you know, trying to push Jesus down people's throats. Yeah. But, you know, you get to that segment where you show footage from, is it Image of the Beast? Was that the particular yeah. film? <laughs> no, like I'm telling you, so yeah. Thief in the Night, Distant Thunder. I saw that when I was eight, second uh, grade. Yeah. My dad pastored the church. It was like, um, and I mean, I laugh about this now, and I'll tell it like in a drive-by way, but I mean, really, we're talking about 20 years of nightmares. I can recall even yeah. being in my mid-20s yeah. and and waking up, standing someplace, yeah. like in the house, yeah. thinking I'd been left behind. Like it would like yeah. that was those movies were so frightening for me at that at that point in my life. So it's interesting. Like I, I definitely want to talk about that. And I thought it was interesting too to feel like, and even though I know you know, you say you've done the show 18 or 19 times and kind of jamming it out. Yeah. There's a real fire in you oh, yeah. in that section. Yeah. Because I think as you're like grappling with what that narrative of the end does, like what the implications are. Yeah. Because for for that in theology, what we call eschatology, the study of last things, you know, it's the same as like the broader death conversation. What you believe about the end has everything in the world to do with how you choose to live in the middle. And Absolutely. I feel you Absolutely. in a powerful way, I think, like pushing back hard on that in yeah. the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. Like, right now, I'm angry. (laughs) (laughs) It does get me fired up. Yeah. Well, I think I'm angry for a number of reasons. One, and I say this in the show, it's like, I realized that all this, like, end times training made me a worser person of faith Mm -hmm. in the world. And actually, I was like, oh, I'm disconnected. There's, I I was like, what I've been transformed by the teaching and, and, and the presence of Jesus I was like, oh gosh, this training actually is counter to that work that's been happening yes. to me. And, and so I'm angry about that. And then I've just like, what it's doing is people are, people who are like, this is how it's going to end. And Jesus is going to come back in our lifetime are disobedient to the God they serve mm-hmm. because they're trashing the planet. Mm-hmm. They're not cultivating it. They've checked out. They've taken off the responsibilities of being an adult and a human being and like 
made Jesus a cosmic janitor for all of our crap. That's a powerful rib. I've never heard anybody talk, talk, talk about it the way that was powerful. Yeah. That was- yeah, where it's just like, we don't, I'm, I don't teach my kids to be like, don't worry, one day everything will come and clean up all your mess. And it's like, we're making things what and then people and then people are faith they're like yeah we just got to get it all worse for jesus to come back you're like that is a lie from the antichrist the spirit of the anti what christ is and yeah and i i'm willing to i'm willing to like can i want to confront it and just be like this is bogus i think what's and maybe this came out of like having enough friends and family die where you're just like, why am I, I should be in a church that's helping me to live well and die well. Yeah. And yet there's this narrative that just kind of, dis- it's it's dismissing the reality that every single person has ever died, including Jesus. Yes. Like if you want to get really yes. literal, sure, Enoch, Elijah, maybe they got, that's it. Two out of billions. Okay. okay like right. That's like, you have better odds of winning the lottery, yes. you know? <laughs> like you're going to die. And I'm like looking to, uh, my faith community or a community and going, are we not talking about this? Are we not this? Like, obviously this is going to be part of the, the experience that the giver of our existence wants us to have. And yet we're creating this narrative that's taking us out of it. And we're missing the fruit of that. And I've met people who are like, Oh, my parents don't have any life savings. They, mm-hmm. because they're like, Jesus is going to come back in my lifetime. Right. So it's also this like, crazy destructive narrative that's like making people worse human beings in the world Mm -hmm. and i think it's counter to the the spirit of what christ is trying to lead us into and that and i so i i just want to i just want to show the absurdity yeah i think that my favorite part is that wikipedia page oh that's amazing i love that segment look at all the people who've predicted that jesus was going to come back they're all dead and they were so sure so they're so sure and had good reasons i mean they they studied the text and they were so yeah um i really feel like on this point in particular like i i don't want to sound over dramatic but i'm so convinced at this point that like that bad eschatology it's not just toxic. It's not just unhealthy. Like it actively kills people. Yeah, trashing the planet to be sure. But even stuff like the the we've um, the more I got the Middle East is part of the world I'm most passionate about. Yeah, I've made a number of trips. Yeah, and the deeper I've gotten to just like you know, around, and I not me did I do it so well personally? People I know like in just in real peacemaking work. When you realize just how big of a machine there is that funds, mm. that has an active interest in conflict. Because if yeah. you really believe yeah. we need a certain kind of fight in the Middle East so yeah. that our end time charts can be fulfilled, can Jesus come back? You are actually rooting for you are war and destruction. You are supporting a military industrial complex. Yes. Exactly right. People are like, we got to keep, we got to get the Muslims out and rebuild the Jewish temple so right. that cosmic Jesus will come down. And you're like, so you're it's literally it's killing real people yes and causing yes. real missiles to be fired on real children mm-hmm. because of your imagined and theorized description of the book of revelation and going well this because somebody had some wonderful charts and they explained how it's all going to happen right so you're yeah exact exactly like we're like kids and people are dying because of an imagined how this is all supposed to happen and a contr- 
And then it's control because then people start saying things and they make books about it yeah. and they talk about it and they're keeping up their own businesses going. And then, and it's very profitable. It's another way of just controlling an unseen, mysterious God. Absolutely. Like, it's, it's like a friend of mine left his church because he was in the leadership, but he's like an elder was fighting that one of the core member beliefs would be a pre millennial pre tribulation. Mm. This whole, he was like, yeah, grace, forgive your neighbor, all these core beliefs, and you have to believe this is how it's going to yeah, end. And yeah. pe- like most of the church left because they're like, what? Ooh. That's crazy. And it is crazy. Um, especially when um, my Brad, our friend Brad Jersek, he just, yeah. he's, I just heard him doing an interview and he's like, oh, Revelation wasn't even in, introduced into the canon until like in the 300s. Like it wasn't even considered. Yeah. People are like, this is too wild like people won't know what to do with this it wasn't even like part of like the early scriptures i don't know it's fascinating well it's just like because those images when read irresponsibly it's funny like i don't i don't have time to get into my whole like all my stuff i don't want to know what your thoughts are i mean if you could do a drive-by like what i mean you're asking me questions but i'm curious like what you think about it too i mean you did i guess you did answer a bit about israel and stuff well yeah but about revelation it's funny like this is i actually do have it down to uh, kind of a short riff that I think is kind of shocking for people, but I, I really believe this. As mysterious as Revelation is, I think if you understand what you're reading yeah. and how to read like the, the metaphors, right? Ironically, I think it might be um, as nonviolent a book as any in the Bible. It utilizes all this violent militaristic imagery, but the point over and over again is how God overcomes yeah. the forces of sin, death, hell, Satan, whatever, yeah. through his own sacrifice on the cross. Yeah. That it's that is that is through self sacrifice yes. that love wins, and yes. that image gets played. It's not chronological. It's like a series of images that keep showing the same thing that the lamb overcomes through yeah. self sacrifice. Yeah. So when you get to the climactic battle, and you know Jesus rides out in a white horse, he's wearing a robe that's been dipped in his own blood, not the blood of his enemies. And there's not even a real fight scene. No. The whole point is that through self sacrifice, yeah. self sacrificial love conquers over all yeah. it's the same story that we get in dr king we see yeah. it every the, the, yeah. ironically again also death <laughs> through through death explicitly yeah love is able to overcome so i mean i think i think that's the message that's what revelation wants to say hmm. at every turn but when you interpret it in a hyper literal way i just you're just, I, you're just saying it so beautifully it what what really is like a kind of fan fiction yeah. um, becomes self-fulfilling prophecies yeah. that has disastrous implications for people's real lives. One of the things that's scary for me, like it's been yeah. freeing in a way, but it's also scary how I think about God now. Because before, when I believed there was a script yeah. and that one way or another, God's going to get us towards a certain kind of end. I mean, I actually joke about this with friends a lot, like... So I went from believing that the world's going to burn because God's going to fry us to, oh, no, like God's not going to do that. But we very well may do this to ourselves. We'll probably do it. (laughs) Because God, I think God would let us. Yeah. And that's scary. Like, I do think, I think God's job description is to bring beauty out of brokenness. That's what God's always doing is bringing new life out of things that, you know, through through death. So God's going to do that regardless. But... Uh, do I think like we could take ourselves over the brink with all our technology? Absolutely. I absolutely do. Like God, God actually lets us make those decisions. Yeah. And in one way that's liberating because it's like, yes, you have the freedom to dream up, like to dream out loud about the world that you want to live in. But on the other hand, it's, it's terrifying because like if you, 
if nightmares are what drive you, if fear is what drives you, you also can, yeah. we can destroy ourselves. We do have the capacity for that. Yeah. The hum- freedom for that. Human imagination has caused the most wonderful things in the world and the most horrible things in the world. Mm-hmm. Because imagination envisions a future and it can go, hey, that future can look like we take our, we take our swords and we build them, we pound them into plowshares. And then that future can also, other people can go, you know what the problem in this world is? It's the Jews. Mm. Yeah. And we should gather, I can imagine a future if we gathered them all up, built mm. these showers, gas chambers mm-hmm. and got rid of them, it would be the utopia we hope for. Mm. You know, sure. like, yeah. and, and it's that imagining what a future could be like or the future you want yeah. and not taking into account your biases or your sin or your destructive habits. Like this is what the Holocaust came from imagination. That's right. Genocide comes from imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, art comes from imagination. Uh, bread banks or food banks mm-hmm. or re- civil rights movement. It comes from imagination. Mm-hmm. It all, so imagination is this tool or this thing we have to really consider. And it very well, what we're getting to with all this kind of end time stuff is like, it becomes the thing that you start just making decisions about your life. We yes. need to confront our imagination. And like, yes. what are you thinking the future is? What do you think you're heading towards? What's the narrative you've made up about mm-hmm. this? It's all invented. It really yes. all is. Yes. And I think that what I, why I'm captured by the teachings of Jesus, why I still like being a part of a church is because I feel like, um, the gathering of people who, the gathering of different perspectives mm-hmm. is always the work that's going to keep you being present and listening and going, that's right. yeah, when you have to start dismissing other people's narratives because you're like, well, that doesn't fit in the narrative that I've invented about what life is. Mm-hmm. Like, you're black. That's not what your experience is like in America. Mm-hmm. America is great for everybody. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. no, right. no, we got, oh, uh, so yeah, as and as a, I say that as a person who is an artist, and so imagination or this kind of is, is one of my tools. Mm-hmm. I'm really convicted uh, as like I think um, what what kind of imagination is the church giving to people, mm-hmm. and, and and I think it's been giving a lot of really destructive stuff. Yes, yeah. So if imagination then is the key, if we think about like um, the kind of world that we want to live in on kind of this meta scale i love then to bring it back full circle how the show really gives tools to people to do that with just in their daily lives yeah that in contemplating the end and contemplating death Mm -hmm. it that it gives you the ability to creatively reimagine yeah the life that you're living right here right now yeah yeah well i um i started I don't mind giving the details a bit because it's really enjoyable and you miss all the interactive stuff. But uh, I started, there there was something I realized, like I had this moment and I described this right at the beginning where I realized a dream in my life was dying and Mm. it caused me to sob for like an hour. And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that that was a dream, but it's ending. And then I started realizing like who I wanted to be in the world or like the next thing I wanted to do. And immediately I was confronted by this voice of giving up Mm. that was like, you can't, nobody cares about a guy who's 40 trying to do something new. And I was like, that sounds really convincing. (laughs) But, but I, I remember just going, I actually think I said this out loud. I was like, as my mind, you know, the voices in your head, but I was like, what is your argument? Mm. Like, what are you trying to tell me? 
And I wrote it down. I wrote what I was hearing the voice of giving up tell me. And I was like, so apparently these are the places that are trying to stop me. Yeah. These must be the doorways to something else. Yes. And so I need to, to go through these and find a way, if this is going to be the constant, my, whatever that voice is, it's interior, it's fear, it's whatever. I need to build practices or pivots off of these because mm-hmm. these are the places it's trying to get me to stop. Right. And so those, I, I, my metaphors, like those became the doorways to a deeper conversation. Yeah. So I started developing these kind of practices to kind of hack those or to, uh, to counter those. And they started working. And immediately I was like, I should monetize this. Mm. And then I was like, don't be a douchebag. <laughs> so, so I sat on it. I was like, you need to, you need to. <laughs> That's true talk. That's so great. You know, when you find something true and you're like, how can I make money? Out of yes. This? It happens to all of us. But I was like, no, you need to practice these for like a year to mm. make sure they really work. Mm. And so I just started taking notes and like Evernote and just going, here's what I'm learning. And then I felt the muse, the creative muse last year go and start talking about it. Mm. And that's, and then that's kind of the work of a creative is to listen to when you're supposed to bring it out. And so, um, yeah. So the first part is nothing's going to change. Everything will be the same. Nothing's new. And the way to hack into that is wonder because wonder Mm. takes us out of our narratives and what's, what's standing in the way mostly of the future we'd like to get to, or the thing we want to do is, the narrative we constructed about who we are and what we're capable of doing. The second part is uh, we're just in this crazy culture of comparison more than any other human beings ever. And it's the stats are out. It's literally killing us. People are killing themselves because of teens are killing themselves because of comparison and going and actually going, there's no future for me to get into. That's even interesting. Mm -hmm. There's no way for me to be in the world. Mm -hmm. And, what we need to move as a spiritual practice is uh, to be like, I am a contribution. Mm. It's my daily contribution. Mm-hmm. Because contribution is saying yes to this hidden pathway of desire that the giver of your life has put you put in you mm. to follow. And then the last one is like, you have to let the, th- the dream die so you can get to the greatest desire. Yeah. And you got to let the thing, the life that you thought was going to happen end so you can actually get to the life that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And we can practice that by by doing this death practice or having, I say, a conversation with your eventual disappearance and letting that wisdom of that, which we've all encountered if you've ever been in a car accident or like I almost drowned surfing one time. Mm. And I just, you know, everything slows down in that moment. And I remember like right before I was able, because I I like ran out of breath and I was underwater. And I remember right before I hit the surface again, I just was like, oh shit, this is when I die. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what's next and I'm not in charge of that. Um, but something's going to happen to my body and all these things. But, you know, like, and then I broke the surface and, and I stopped for the day. But that, oh, when that line of mortality gets really close and you see it, 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 it causes you to it asks so many questions of you. And it, and I was like, there's a wisdom in that moment that I think really can help us direct. Yeah. And I'm not the only one who's talking about it. Bronnie Ware, you're talking about the, the gift of dying book, which yeah. I want to check out. It's, it's all there. So how do we do that in a way that's not, I know some people are like, oh, talking about dying is morbid. It's like, well, it is, but you're going to die. And I remember going to Bible school and this girl, 
uh, a white girl, but she grew up in Kenya. She's an MK missionary kid. And she, I was like, what was, um, for you, we're getting to know each other. I was like, for you, what was, uh, what was really different about growing up in Kenya and then living in the States for a while? She thought about it and she goes, the first thing she said is the amount of death you see. Wow. And I was like, I was like, tell me more. And she goes, death is just a normal part of society in Kenya. Grandma just died. They bring the body out of the house. The whole community sees the dead body before they carry it away to make rain for burial. Mm. A baby dies. Somebody dies. Like you, you see the bodies. Mm. Um, and she's like, death here is all hidden away. Yeah. If it happens in a house, you take it out in a bag, you put it in a car, you don't see it until the funeral and then it's done in makeup and clothing mm. to look like it's not dead. Wow. And I get that it's, you know, honoring. Sure. But it's like you miss all of that, the reality and the wisdom that comes from that, of, of that reality. And so I forgot what we're even, I don't know no, how I got so to that. good. But yeah, so, um, so yeah, I think that, oh, because you got to, and then what does Jesus say? You got to die so you can live. You know, yeah. there's, in yeah. every major faith tradition is this kind of idea of like death and then resurrection is yeah. the thing. And so. Uh, a friend of a friend of mine named Taylor said to me, he goes, you know, if the rhythm of life is dying and resurrecting, maybe it takes our ultimate death to enter into our ultimate resurrection. Mm -hmm. And wow. so I think that contemplation of that ultimate death and the ultimate resurrection, we can apply those things. And uh, David White, this poet, he says, we need to apprentice ourselves to mm -hmm. that conversation mm -hmm. of our eventual disappearance. So we become apprentices. We learn from it. And as we're becoming masters in our own lives, yeah. one of the things we apprentice is what's the wisdom from this moment? Mm -hmm. how, how do I apply that to my life now? Mm -hmm. And that's what I've tried to do in my decisions about my career and what yeah. I'm going to work on, what I'm going to talk about. Um, and that's, that's what I've been trying to do. <laughs> I have to ask, um, yeah, because the one hand it's like when you talk about your own near-death experience and I do think, you know, I don't know. It's funny that brought back a time when I, I almost drowned when I was very young, and I really thought I, I thought it was I really thought it was over. I was I couldn't be more five or six, and it's still the slowing down. Yeah, the, oddly, my short life flashing before my eyes, <laughs> the starting to let go and the release of like, yeah, okay, I think this is it. It yeah. was very I, I had not thought about that in so long. Yeah, but um, it's like on the one hand, death in that regard doesn't have to terrorize us and in contemplating it we can get wisdom and peace and perspective and all those things and yet i feel like i wouldn't want to go without saying because this was powerful for me in the show last night too and i don't recall i'm if i've read or heard some of these stories before i don't think i've i don't recall it uh it was new information for me i was so moved by the whole and that, that comes i think fairly early in the show but like that people though who have tried to take their lives yeah and 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 not been successful a hundred percent seem to express like real regret yes. at trying to take their own lives. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. Uh, I tell the story of Kevin Hines. I heard the story on This American Life. So it's not, it's not like a hidden story that I developed, but uh, I went and researched it and watched. He's got, apparently he tours and tells his story, mm. but um, he, and he's had a, a really difficult upbringing. He had a lot of reasons to want to end his life. I, I'll acknowledge that. But he had this moment where he, so he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and he said the millisecond his hands left the rail. So he's like leaping over the rail to 
it's like a 175 feet. I don't know. It's huge. The, you know, the moment his hand fingertips left the rail, he was like, I instantly regretted it. And he said in, he was like, everything that I thought was unchangeable in my life, I understood it to be completely changeable. The only thing that was unchangeable was falling to the ocean. Wow. And he survived and he, there's, 18 other survivors of suicide attempts off the Golden Gate Bridge. He mm. goes around and asks everybody, and they all say the same thing. Mm. So about 2,000 people, at least they know of, have committed suicide off of the Golden Gate Bridge since its building. So by that statistic, by survivors who said, that means all 2,000 people were had the were like, oh, I wish I wasn't doing this. Wow, wow. Right? Mm. And so, yeah, and what we do in that part is to go, we don't know, we might know somebody who's given up on themselves through drinking and then got over that and said, hey, there's nothing for you there. None of us really know somebody who's come back from dying sure. or trying to die who said, hey, there's nothing for you there. But there are people. So let's, yeah. let's even if we don't know somebody, let's just let make Kevin our friend mm-hmm. and let's apply that to our lives, mm-hmm. um, which is really helpful because when you're in that deep narrative and i i'm a person who struggles with depression i was in really bad clinical depression for a year and a half and i i had really deep conversations with suicide and wanting to not be around and i'm not saying because we can't diminish the seriousness of that it just we also need to go look somebody's gone before you yes this conversation's about something different i'm actually making a book about this and it's it's not i've read you know other people have done it but i've been trying to make a spiritual practice book <laughs> based mm. on depression oh um, wow that's cool and i uh, love that yeah and i uh there's there's a gift to your depression i mean you got to figure out what it is i mean because yeah. it can be comp- it's on a spectrum it can be completely situational it can be completely chemical and there's and there's usually you're somewhere in between you got to figure out how to handle that animal but um there is a gift to depression if you let it do its work. And I'm not, it's an awful thing. And we 100% should try to get out of it. But I remember after a year and a half, my depression just was gone one day. Hmm. And it, uh, I, it's like I looked back at my last year and a half and I, and I looked in my hands and I was like, where did I get all this treasure? Because mm. it had grounded me as a person more than anything else. Wow. And so I had this weird moment where I was like, I didn't want to diminish the seriousness because I was like, that sucked. Yeah. But I was like, I'm kind of grateful for it. Yeah. And that was the weird paradox mm. that I, I'd never want to say lightly because I was like, look, I almost took myself out. Right. I thought about it. I'm not diminishing that. But that caused me to be a different kind of person in the world. Mm. And so I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Like it took a certain amount of darkness to help me see the light. Yeah, I get that. It I took really a do. certain amount of like sorrow to find joy. And it took a yeah. certain amount of like unbelief and disbelief to find belief yeah. again. And that was like the surprising work of it. So it's so weird, like yeah. how grief seems to be the only thing that can break us open, Yeah, you know, too to joy to like it's uh, and that like there's no other path like no, no one wants pain no one wants suffering but there's some kind of suffering yeah this is what we ought to go through not in a masochistic way like but that's the thing like it's funny i 
I've yeah. really come to a different place about that. Yeah. I remember, like, I always think about a uh, famous yeah. youth speaker when I was a teenager going to our big Pentecostal thing and had would have this dramatic having students stand and one by one shout to the top of their lungs, I want the cross, and this whole thing of choosing your own cross. And I can, like, I'm like, look, honey, you do not have to choose the cross. Yeah. Your crosses will be chosen for you. Yeah. Oh my God. It is never anything that you would choose. They're, Whatever crosses you bear, they're coming. They're like coming. you you get them. You yeah. you get yeah. you get a cross. Yeah. You know, but then I think, man, like, I don't know. I don't want to take a hold of the direction, but I just think about this stuff so much these days. It's like that's that's the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus. Jesus himself is a way. It's not like, you know, yeah. Jesus did this cool thing for us in the cross, like take up your cross and follow me is a way of saying like go this same path, come experience yeah. the joy and liberation that comes. And yeah. I think that ego stripping that comes yeah. from uh, moving into death to get yeah. to life. You yeah. know, there's yeah. this whole, that that's the, that's the journey we're called to as well. Um, I have to ask you before we close, all this is so, this is so wonderful. I actually, I've been thinking the whole time. I'm like, man, um, I'm a big believer in therapy. If you can get yourself to therapy, I think everybody needs a therapist, but yes. y'all, this podcast is free and you can listen to this more than once. <laughs> yeah. And this is a lot cheaper than therapy. Yeah. But I, th- I really feel like this is going to be so healing and helpful for people. Feel free to help us on Patreon. I would really appreciate that. that. But do the podcast that. is free. And I, I do think, I really do. I'm hearing all this thinking like, man, I just think this is such, this is transformational. Mm-hmm. This is like, this, this is stuff that can cause somebody to say yes for one more day. And then that, that's everything. So oh, thank you. I've for, gotten emails from people like I've, wasn't going to be around this week. Wow. So thanks. But I'm glad I came to your show. Literally, when I you saw know. the name of the show for the first time, I was moved. I just thought, like, yeah, like a liturgy, the whole idea of a liturgy of not giving up on yourself, it's like, that's powerful. Yeah. Like, it's so, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so potent. Um, before we go, I have to take a moment to plug because I'm so crazy about the new book you've done with Justin McRoberts, Prayer, 40 Days of Practice. Yeah. I want everybody to read this book. So yeah. um, but before we close out, can you say a bit about the book and where that comes from? I think it's so important. And another resource that I just think people really need in the moment that we're yeah. in. Yeah, thanks. Um, it, it's it's. I think Say Yes was inspired by the work of this book, which is the premise that the, what we say about the book is like, we don't pray because we're religious. We pray because we're human. Religion helps us with the structure and creating habits with prayer, but it's not the essence of what it is. Yeah. And a lot of times when we get tripped up in prayer, like nobody feels like they're killing it in their prayer life. It's like they're average. Sure. Right. <laughs> you know, but it's because we often get, uh, we, we, uh, we mistake mechanics for the essence. Yes. We go, I'm not praying right. I don't do it right. And it's like, that's the mechanics. What prayer is, is uncovering that, ever-present, ongoing, interior conversation with the giver of your existence. Mm. And and that gets locked away in ego and fear and anxiety and stuff. And so what we need is excavation tools to help us get to that. Mm. So this is a book of excavation tools. There, there are simple word prayers and image prayers to help get you to that. Yeah. A lot of prayer books, I'm not poo-hooing prayer books, sure. but a lot of prayer books are like, pray this today. Yes. Here's what you should pray. Yeah. Here's the content of your prayer. We're like, um, we'll give you a tool uh, through the form of like these may eyes I'm inviting. Because the, the premise is also is like, we don't have to get God's attention. That's voodoo. Mm-hmm. God's, the, God's already speaking and already working in our lives. We need to help become aware of where that is yes. and where the honest so conversation is. And um, so we made this book about three or four years ago. We self-published. 
and it took it took off it's worked in people's lives like we we're not um <laughs> i'm not trying to dismiss myself it's like we're not geniuses we don't actually when we were talking to the marketing department i thought long and hard so and you could chime in working with a publisher is yeah. awesome and then immediately disappointing yeah uh it's you got to really fight for what you want sure. and you know so I, I i spent a day just going what do I think is important about this book? And I, I, when I got on my call with like our team, I was like, you know what we have, Justin and I don't have three secrets to make your prayer life better. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of speakers can be like, I got these four secrets I'd like right. to tell you about. Come to my, and it was like, I don't know if you're allowed to swear on this, but I was like, fuck that. I don't, <laughs> we don't have secrets. Yeah. Because we're not, we don't have any secrets about your prayer life because yeah. it's your prayer life. Yeah. We have, but we figured out ways because we do it on ourselves of how to get to that deeper conversation. Mm -hmm. So I was like, we don't have any like, here's how to pray. It's like, you need to figure out a prayer life that works for you. Yes. Here are some helpful ways to get in touch with that. Yeah. And if you practice that, it's like, these are training wheels to help you get there. And eventually mm -hmm. you'll find your own thing and you don't need this anymore. We don't have any mm -hmm. secrets for you. Mm -hmm. The secret is that there's a doorway for all of us to hear the voice of God in our lives. And That's that right. doorway is honesty. Yes. And it's, yes. it sounds easy, but it's really hard really to hard. be honest. And we have to do the deep practice and consistent work of getting to that honest place. And you will hear the voice of God in your life and tell you some wondrous things. Um, and that's what we want to invite people into. And that's happening in everybody. And so that's what we're, um, I will get up in the morning to talk about that. I love it. I mean, I, yeah. and I believe in any and all kinds of prayer practices and there are all kinds of resources that are helpful. But man, at the end of the day, that maybe has been the big revelation for me in the last few years about prayer is that if you get vulnerable enough, mm -hmm. God is going to be present in a conscious way. God's always present, but you'll be awake yeah, if you get awake. vulnerable enough. You'll be like awake. almost to the point to where like that, that's, that's become more and more the goal for me. Like if I can find a way to really lay myself bare, yeah. I'm not going to go around having to beg for God for this, that. It just, I think that really is what brings awareness because yeah. I, you know, yeah. my whole riff about the disciples on the road to Emmaus is that in having this authentic conversation about their despair, yeah. God is present in ways that they don't recognize, but that's what happens. They get People are way closer to God, again, I know God's always near, but in terms of this conscious kind of open way, yeah. being vulnerable in a bar than not being vulnerable in church, because vulnerability in that regard is everything. Like the yeah. more open you get and real vulnerability, not faux vulnerability. Yeah. There's a lot of like, I mean, it's real easy to do that. I always joke about that with preachers like Pastor Bob, like, I know you won't believe this, but the other day <laughs> I yelled at my wife and kids in the car. Here I am, Pastor. Like, okay, yeah. that's not real vulnerability. I'm saying there's a deeper vulnerability. Like, if you get vulnerable enough, like, yeah. God is all over that, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Or my, not to poohoo college students, because I used to say this stuff too, but uh, recently, you know, I had this conversation, I was speaking at this college, and then this girl talked to me, and she's like, I think, you know, God wants me to break up with my boyfriend. Mm. And, and I didn't, I'm not dismissing that that was the voice of God, but I'm like, that could also be the voice of your dad. Yeah. <laughs> and the voice of the part of you that's like, I think I'm supposed to commit, but I'm 19 and I kind of don't want to. Right. Like, I don't know. Let's not take it all the way to the the voice of the creator. Yes. <laughs> Let's honor the fact that maybe there's other voices in you that are like, uh, I don't know. Yes. Uh, instead of saying that's what God is, um, it takes it it it's the wonderful journey is is uncovering, I think.
where the voice of God is, and then what's yeah. your own voice is, and then helping discern that. And yes. yeah, yeah, and it's in here. It's in here. It's like the deeper, you know. If you, uh, that's what's more and more powerful for me is like the voice is already to be discerned in yourself. It's crazy this stuff. Like, and I, I struggle as much as anybody to know what's God, what's me, whatsoever. I know that there is a deeper wisdom inside me yeah. that's waiting to be uncovered, yeah. and it's not about. You know, I, I so often feel like I can, I'll cram books because I'm still looking for the magic answer. And I still love books, of course, but oh, like, yeah. but I'm more and more convinced that like the answers we're most looking for really are not external, they're internal. And that's where I think it, the show again is so powerful is because it invites people on that kind of soul excavation. Yeah. And the book does that. So I really, really hope you will pick up Prayer, Justin McRoberts and Scott Erickson. It's a wonderful, wonderful book and resource. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for, for being here. Just so y'all know, uh, just to give you a little sense of real time local flavor, I'm about to take Scott to the Mule to have the best sandwich I'm so excited. I've ever had in my life. <laughs> it, it is it is the road to Damascus, my friend. I have not will. eaten anything today. Me neither. Me so neither. So that I'm just like, I'm ready. To so we come in a fasted, like heightened awareness. Like we're ready to my, fully. My wife's a, a, a food blogger and you know, there's one common ingredient that makes everything taste better being hungry yes wow yes more a, a great note of wisdom <laughs> to end the podcast on that's perfect yeah. thanks so much for being here my oh, friend yeah, it's, been great. it's been amazing thank you for listening today more from jonathan go to jonathanmartinwords.com and follow him on instagram and twitter if you want to help us keep this podcast alive, go to patreon.com slash man, and we appreciate your support. Now remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will help you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. God bless.